everybody, Matthew here from IndieWarGaming.com and welcome to our first episode of the Wargaming Game Master. This is a brand new podcast from Mini Wargaming where I, Matthew, will be your host and we'll have various guests on this show, such as today's guest Steve from Mini Wargaming. And we're going to be talking about all things narrative miniature wargaming. So the purpose of the show, besides what I just said, is for me to have an area where I get to talk to you guys about my favorite aspect of miniature wargaming, which is the narrative aspect of it. I love match play. I love competitive play. I love quirky open play. But I have to say, out of everything, narrative miniature wargaming is my favorite way to play whatever game it is that you're playing, for the most part. So what I want to do is create a show where we get to interact, we get to cover all sorts of topics. We're going to be talking about how to create narrative campaigns, how to create scenarios. We're going to talk about the various scenarios that are always already out there in the various battle tomes and codexes. This isn't going to be restricted to games workshop games only, although we probably will be talking a lot about them because that's the ones that we play the most. But hopefully the, the things that we talk about here will be applicable to any game that you want to play, um, for the most part. Most games are adaptable to narrative gaming or even designed to be that way as it is. So our first episode is going to be what is narrative wargaming? Because Steve and I were having a conversation about this the other day, and we realized that it's not quite as obvious as it might seem. Right. And I don't think we're going to have the perfect answer either. This is going to be more discussion that Steve and I are going to have, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Now, this is, a, this is going to be available as a podcast, wherever podcasts are available. If you're watching this on YouTube, that's great. You're welcome to join in the conversation wherever it is that you happen to be watching this or wherever you like. Uh, for example, if you want to reply on YouTube with your comments and suggestions for future topics or just to, to talk back and forth with us, we are going to be drawing from that. Also on our Facebook page when we post about this. We also have a Mini Wargaming Facebook group. That's one of the probably the best places to go. If you go to Facebook.com and just search for the Mini Wargaming official Facebook group. Uh, honestly, you can send us emails, Matthew at MiniWargaming.com. I can't promise to reply to you, all your emails, but I, I'll take those as comments for the show as well. So we're just going to be drawing feedback from all over the place. And maybe we'll formalize that in the future exactly where we'll do that. But right now, I just want to keep it kind of open. So the first discussion. First off, welcome, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're going to be talking about what is narrative miniature wargaming. I'll let you uh, take the helm here and give your opinion first well, off. Well, I was just going to straight up ask you, what is narrative wargaming? I think it means different things for different people. Well, I guess then the question, Steve, would be so what, what is do you think? For me? Well, okay. So when I think narrative, I think of the custom scenario out of uh, miniature wargaming. That's okay. So when we play a miniature war game, they always have scenarios. I, I think narrative, I think of the one that you created yourself. You're giving yourself your own parameters. Usually, in my opinion, it's when I'm trying to reenact a story I heard or read once. That's the, the narrative of the game, right? So to you, it comes down to the how the scenario itself is created. Correct, because uh, as, as a player first, or I mostly play not narrative, um, when I think narrative, it's, it just, it's just the game. With uh, a little bit of an asterisk, a little bit of a, a change and add-on to my like my, my own um, additions to the already created game. That's what I think of narrative. So would you would you then look at that and say, well, if I took a, uh, if I was going to run a tournament, for example, and I wrote my own scenarios for the tournament, would you still classify that as narrative, or is it that you when you generate well, your scenarios, there is a narrative element? So the in thing mind? is, when you say that, right? You said tournament, right? 
So the scenarios that I'm going to create for that, or I'm gonna, I assume most people are going to create for a tournament, is going to be more competitive. Right. Whereas a narrative scenario, which I, I play with my buddy Mitch quite a bit, is not necessarily um, a balanced scenario where either side could potentially win. It's more about here's the cool challenge this side has to deal with, and here's the here's the um, parameters that you have to get through the the amount, the the sorry the certain what's what I'm looking for uh, objectives you have to complete to finish your narrative scenario, which are definitely not are going not going to be the same way in a competitive scenario. So a custom competitive scenario, you try to make a balance for both sides. It's it's it's, it's, it's metrical as much as you possibly can. Whereas narrative, it doesn't have to be. It can be. But it definitely does not have to be. Yeah, no, definitely. I think having custom scenarios is a big part of narrative gaming. For myself, when I think of narrative wargaming, if somebody's like, well, what do you like better, narrative or match play? I think of uh, a couple things. First off, Games Workshop over the past few years with the introduction of 8th edition Warhammer 40k and then Age of Sigmar 2 has classified three different kinds of playing the game in their minds. Uh, Four if you include organized play. They call what they call open play, narrative play, match play, and then open or a narrow, sorry, organized play, which is basically match play in a tournament style. Uh, usually follows most of the same rules. It's it's interesting. I think that was a really good thing to do, and at the same time, it's also not the perfect classification of all of it because to them, open play is when you just throw down whatever miniatures you have and play. Don't count up the points. The scenarios are very basic. Or you're using their open war generator cards just to, you know, create random scenarios that often are not balanced. And that's their definition of open play. Narrative play, that's where they do like their historical battles or story-driven battles. And that's so something I'll come back to. And then match play is more of the what you're talking about, the symmetrical kind of scenarios right. where it shouldn't give a side an advantage, even though obviously we know that that's not the case, given the fact that every army is going to act differently and have their own advantages and disadvantages when it comes to scenarios that have objectives or who can kill the most or get in certain positions the most and then of course organized plays its own thing where they're trying to tighten things up and that seems to be what it is it feels like at least with eighth edition 40k they were going from open play being like a whatever loosey-goosey kind of thing narrative play tightens it up a little bit and then match play really tightens it up you you know you you're more limited on what you can do for your uh, stratagems, for example, or you're limited on how much can go in reserve. And then organized play takes it a step further where they, they add even more rules and restrictions on that to try to balance everything out. And to me, that does not actually divide narrative play and non-narrative play very well. I see what they're trying to accomplish. but um, And then Age of Sigmar kind of came out with their second edition and they did the same distinction, open narrative and match, but they did it differently. They didn't have the rules be different for open narrative and matched. Yeah. They had the pitch battle profiles of how you built your army, but um, the restrictions that you see in 40K match play are just the normal rules in Age of Sigmar, almost like they refined the idea. Right. But the difference still being that in open and narrative, you're not really looking for a balance in points. So it seems to be what they're saying is if you're not playing match play, you, it's balance is not as much of an issue. Uh, you just play whatever it is that you want to do. And I don't think, once again, that that really tells us what narrative wargaming is. If I had to sum it up really simply, in my mind, narrative wargaming is when you play a game of two or more players 
And the entire intent of what you are trying to accomplish is to tell a story. And that can be done with symmetrical competitive scenarios. And with both sides bringing 2,000 points and they just want to tell a story. Often, see, that would happen very often is what we'd have guests come in. And the first thing I'd do is I'd set up the table. I don't even know what army I'm playing at this point. And I don't even know what my guest army is at this point. So I set up a, a table and I try to make it look cool. I don't try to make it symmetrical. I try to make some interesting looking table. And then we would look at the table and be like, what story do we want to tell on this table? What is this terrain inspiring us to do? And then we would build lists to try to represent that, even though they're both the same points and we're even going to play a match play scenario. That to me is still narrative gaming. Because I one of the a lot of the questions we got, because I had uh, when I introduced this show uh, a week or two ago, I asked people for ideas for topics. And a lot of the comments, and we will come over, come back to some of those, were talking about asking us to address the problem with narrative games being unbalanced. So I've done a lot of talking right there. And, and going over these different things. So what, what are some of your thoughts on, on the, some of the things I just said right there? Well, I want to ask you a quick question about the last thing you just, you just said just before you talked about the problems uh, or, or brought it up. I'm going to just a little scenario in your head. I'm doing my work, my day job at Mini Wargaming. I'm doing a bat rap. And my guest, Matthew Glanfield, is going to come in and play a game with me. So you walk into the studio. We talk about what we're playing, our armies or whatever. We roll a random scenario at, say, Chapter Proof 2018. We roll the map type. We then deploy and we play a game. We played a match play game, correct? Okay, well, what if just sure, before, yeah. um, after we rolled the map, after we rolled the, um, uh, sorry, the scenario, then the map, and then we deployed, but then we said, okay, so my Raven Guard are trying to get into um, your warehouses, and these are the important nodes, whatever. We, we talked for about 30 seconds about giving um, a little backstory to this mission. Mm -hmm. Is that now narrative play in your head? In well, your opinion? Narrative play or narrative wargaming? Or is it both? See, this is, this is what the distinction. When we say narrative play, we're talking about what Games Workshop it's has defined narrative as play. narrative play, which I don't think that's the case. Their narrative play is not overly concerned with the balance. It's more concerned with telling a really cool story, which I think there's a lot to be said for that being a good thing. And it can also have its detriments of not being balanced. So to me, that's, that would in and of itself be narrative wargaming in its simplest form. Uh, for example, when I'm placing objectives, I can't help but place them on a piece of terrain that looks like it's interesting. Yep. I, they, sometimes I'll throw them in the middle and I'm like, whatever. But if there's a bridge, for example, that divides the table, or there's a couple bridges that divide the table, I can't help but place an objective on each of those bridges. I think a lot of people are actually like that. Yeah, and, and there's, there's always that element. Or when I'm building my list, um, most of the time, except for sometimes, it just bothers me if I'm building a list that doesn't make sense for what my army is going to be. Even if I know it would be more competitive to do something different, it still still kind of nags at me. Now, sometimes I find it fun to, especially if my opponent is really good and I know they've brought a good list and they and then we're said, okay, let's just gloves off. And then you just forget about it. I think tournaments are a great place to kind of forget narrative. And I, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a very positive way. And just boil the game down to its numbers. It doesn't mean you can't bring fantastically painted armies. But it's, uh, for example, in 7th edition Warhammer 40k, it was very common for everybody, no matter what their army was, to also bring three to fl five flying hive tyrants. And I'm an Eldar, and somehow these three to five flying hive tyrants are in my army. That always bothered me. But after a while, I'm like, no, no, don't let it bother you, because it's a tournament. They're just boiling it down to the numbers game. 
And that's fun. Yeah. People yeah. like chess. People like checkers. Those are, there's no narrative really there. It's just a numbers game. And, and that can be fun. But, uh, and I can occasionally have fun doing that. But I find that that gets old and boring for me very fast. And so to me, it's more, how do you compose your armies? Try to tell a story. It might even be how you painted your armies too. Uh, or you might have this ongoing progress. And uh, I know some people will start giving certain miniatures names once they do something interesting, whether good or bad. And to me, that's, there's a lot of narrative element to that. Now, I think if we're talking, though, purely what is narrative wargaming, like, it's one of those things that if you, it, it's a bit of a spectrum. And on the hard end of the spectrum, it's very obvious it's narrative wargaming. For example, if we set up a siege and we had one side of the table be a wall and you just loaded it up with Astra Militarum behind that with all their mortars and stuff and people lining the towers. And then the other end is this endless swarm of Tyranids and you throw in a mission rule that whenever you kill a unit, they get to come back automatically and survive for six turns. That is so obviously narrative. Whereas um, if you're like playing a match play scenario and both, and you've come up with a cool story, but the story doesn't really impact the scenario. It's more just like, why are our guys fighting? Yeah. It's like, it's Grey Knights versus um, Ultramarines. Why would they ever be fighting? Well, I guess this is, maybe they think these Ultramarines have fallen to chaos or, or maybe it's just a practice. Isn't it almost always a training mission? Yeah, it's a training mission, right? And so to me, that there is an element of narrative wargaming there, and that's that's kind of the start of narrative wargaming. But really, if you delve deep into it, it's where you start to be more concerned of is the is the story interesting? Is the event are the events interesting more than is this scenario perfectly balanced? Because let, let me ask you this question: Two armies, we, we say we're going to play a match play game, two thousand points each. Is that balanced? Uh, I mean, as dumb as you're going to get. Is it? No. No, no not at all. Of course because not. I have found often that when we play a narrative scenario where the points are off, the game is still close. And so that would have... You're talking a narrative scenario from out of one of the books? No, I'm talking where if the points are off. Um, uh, for example, oh, there's been so many times actually where in our narrative campaigns that we do, for example... So often that we don't, we don't even count up points. Objectives are often different for both sides of the table, right? One side might have objectives and their side might have just stopped them from completing their objective, right? Right. You can often give extra points to the side that has to just stop you. Mm. Um, but I mean, that's also part of the, the, the narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, often you want to be outnumbered. The good guys want to be outnumbered by the bad guys for your narrative and it's just more heroic victory. Right, exactly. Or throwing in custom rules like... Uh, you know, every space marine's a captain kind of thing. Yeah, where, that's just you know, you, movie marines. <laughs> yeah, movie marines. Um, but how do you possibly balance that? Do you give them the points value of a captain? Well, that's not really accurate. Uh, the points value part of the captain's points value is the synergy with the rest of it. But if they're all captains, they don't that whole re-rolling ones. They're just giving it to themselves essentially. They're not giving it to anybody else. So it's like the, the balance is inherently not in the game in match play as it is. Now, don't get me wrong. I think that in match play, they are attempting to get as close to balance as possible. Sure. Which is why it works well to say, hey, let's just going to throw down a game, 2,000 points, we'll roll a mission. And that's going to give you the least frustrating type of game if you don't care about building some sort of narrative to it. Well, okay, so every, every true narrative game I've played, now the ones I've considered narrative, we've never considered the points. Right. Oh, well, I'll say in the last few years. I mean, uh, years ago, we may have tried to use points. Well, after doing many of them, you, you quickly learn that it's not about the points because the, I don't know how, how the how uh, models are attributed points 
doesn't really matter if you're changing up the basic rules of the game, mm-hmm. the scenario of the game, the objective of the game. If you change all of that, all of a sudden the points don't make sense anymore. Yeah. Well, because they're designed or, within like this is this unit is they're they're thinking maybe it'll have objectives secured and it'll be better at grabbing objectives. What if you're playing a narrative game where all of a sudden it's about surviving or getting to a certain area? That does change balance of what's meant to be good and what's not meant to be good. Well, I also often play against, well, my narrative games are played against mostly you, uh, Lucas, a lot of times, and Mitch. And all three of you guys are usually the one creating the narrative or the story that I'm that I'm personally the player playing through. And all three of you do what we call throwing audibles, right? Like there, there are certain combos you can do with miniatures on the table. You're just not going to do because it's, it's just going to end the, your narrative scenario. But you try to make decisions in the moment about what your models would do. That's another big part of the narrative thing too is, well, obviously the smart thing for me to do is hide behind this building, wait to turn around the corner and just shoot you. But I mean, maybe your guy doesn't know what's behind that building. You want to play just the 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 decisions more narrative-like. That is That actually is another big part. If, I, if we had to make like these bullet points what is narrative miniature wargaming or what is narrative wargaming? That, I think, is another key, and that is how you play the game. Now, I am a big fan of play the game, not the not the list building. It, for me, when in a match play scenario, for example, if I'm going to have fun, what I try to do is we try to have equal strength lists. That way we can both just play as hard as we want and try to win. In a narrative scenario, yeah, there's that. There's the, the, that's, where, that's why I called this podcast the Wargaming Game Master. Because not never, it doesn't mean in every narrative scenario you need to have a game master and a player. And that's not what I mean. Right. But what I mean is as a games master playing Dungeons & Dragons or your role-playing games, you have to find that happy medium or happy balance between doing exactly what the best thing for those miniatures to beat the players is and doing what you think those, <laughs> those NPCs would actually do. Uh, case in point... I'm not going to give any spoilers for any of the D&D campaigns, but uh, we're currently playing a, a uh, campaign from a pre-made module from the beginner set called Lost Minds of Phandelver. And early on, there's a goblin fight. And it was fine. It was a fun fight. And then I went and was talking to Luca, and he was telling me about how his friends played that, and they just kept getting destroyed by them over and over again. And so they hated the whole module, and they decided not to play it anymore. And I'm like, how are they destroyed by it? And then he described how his games master would play the goblins. And he basically played them as super tactical experts. And I'm like, yeah, of, of course, if the goblins do that, they have the ability basically to fire and then hide. And so if they, and they, and they have you by surprise. And so, you know, they've already surprised you. They're already hidden. They jump out, they shoot at everybody, and then they hide. And so now it's your guy's turn. What do you want to do? Uh, we can't see the goblins, so we're going to move closer. All right, now they jump out and shoot at you and hide. Oh, by the way, they move further back while they did this. And so it's going to take you three or four rounds to get to them. Oh, by the way, you're all level one, so you're dead. And so, yeah, those that same goblin encounter could be totally lethal. But because as a games master, I'm like, the goblins aren't that smart. So I'll have a couple of them jump out and fight, and a couple other ones kind of stay back and skirmish. And then the scenario was tense, but totally... Well, totally doable. The game master, whether D&D or the 40K narrative stuff that I do, um, can often put a situation on the table where you're... you're player can't get through or not likely to get through but that's part of your job right giving us just enough of a challenge without making it so you automatically or we automatically lose every time exactly. what's the point of playing yeah that's that's the hard part now that's getting into talking about a games master running a narrative campaign where they have control over everything but coming back to your point you were mentioning the part of it is when you're actually playing the scenario paying attention to the decision making that you do based on what's the most powerful thing to do 
and maybe what's the most interesting thing to do. Can you speak more to that? Okay, well, that's that's actually, a, in my opinion, I know it's a different answer for everybody, but like that's the difference between narrative and match play for me. Am I is is, is Steve playing his Space Marines, uh, or there's one um, just omnipresence that sees everything on the battlefield, who knows the measurements and inches and movements and uh, firepower? I just I know everything. I know all the information I have. And I'm doing the math to beat my opponent. That's match play. Uh, we're playing chess with soldiers. It's a bit different. Whereas narrative, I, I think I just want to play every unit's going to do. They know what they know. They're going to make decisions more tactically, or sorry, what they think might be more tactically in the moment, but they don't know that there's another squad right behind the building, or uh, they don't know that Matthew has six units of gene stealers in, in uh, ambush right. that could come out of any of these buildings right now. Because in match play, I'm going to stay away from those buildings. I'm going to stay away from, I'm going to try to position my guys nine inches apart and try to make it so minimal. Um, minimal spots those units can pop up. That, that's I'm trying to win. Whereas narrative, like that's the whole narrative. Like the, the genius pop up and come and get you. Uh, you want to get caught in the ambush. You want to get caught in the the oh no situation. We're not gonna get out of this. Whereas in match play, I'm gonna do my best not to even get in that situation. That can be hard I just to do. Win. That can be really hard to do. It's uh, it's it's we're we're naturally competitive, right? Yes. Some people more than others, but we're all naturally competitive. That when we're presented these situations, we can still sit there and try to figure out. I know, for example. <laughs> This has come up in a couple of battle reports. I still remember that, and I, and I tease Luca for this, even though he did exactly what he was supposed to do. We played a game of Age of Sigmar where I was Fire Slayers mm. versus Blades of Corn, And the Fire Slayers were way more powerful. I was, I was still trying them out after they came out, and I was doing lots of Hearthguard Berserkers, which we have now realize are ridiculously powerful when it comes to... <laughs> a lot. There's, there's more powerful things out there in Age of Sigmar, but they're, they're, they're very powerful. But he's playing Blades of Corn, which is, you know, Corn is typically your I will fight and I will want to get Move into forward. the fight. They don't, they're not, they're not mindless. I don't want to give the impression that if you play but, corn. But that is the corn joke, right? I know you're saying they're not mindless, but I mean that's yeah. how you play corn. Well, they can have a lot of martial prowess, right? They can make good tactical decisions. In fact, if out of all the four chaos gods, they should be the making the best tactical decisions. However, when I, I basically got in there, I charged into his lines and I started slaughtering his guys. And his turn, everybody just fell back to grab objectives. And that already kind of irked me. I'm like, oh no, they're corn. They, they got a fight. And I, and I realized that that's not totally true, that their tactical prowess would allow them to reposition. But then, so I charge into him again. And what does he do? Falls back again. We did this for three or four turns. And I was destroying him. If he didn't fall back, he would have died horribly. Were you playing a match play game or were you playing a narrative game? We were playing match play. Then he did the right thing. He did do the right <laughs> thing. And see, this is the thing. This is what I'm trying to say is that we, we all we have these nagging feelings about what should be happening versus what is happening. And in the end, he beat me by like one or two points because there was objectives that he just kept grabbing. And I looked at it afterwards, and I could have easily beaten him if I just kept a couple of units back on a couple of objectives. But I just didn't want to. I'm like, these guys are... They're fire, these fire slayers are so ready to charge in there. Same thing when I play my Iron Jaws. I, I just love to just kind of run in there and punch things in the face. And I consider myself to be a tactical player. Like, I'll, I'll analyze the battlefield and grab objectives and hold things and, and, uh, and make those decisions. But with certain armies, I just want them to play well, a certain way. And so it bothers me when I see this corn player constantly retreating out of combat. I'm like, oh, come on, face me, coward. And, and yet... I know as a player he did the right thing, but it still nagged at me. And I think that's that's something too, is when I when you get in a narrative play, you want to see things act the way that you would expect them to act. Once again, not saying that Luke did anything wrong, just saying that there's always something that nags at me when you see a mighty warrior fall back 
um, who should stay in combat because he wants to have that fight even to the death. So narrative play, there's no pressure to to win, fall back and win, right? You just you're kind of just playing the story. It's, it's what the guys would do. But uh, when you're playing against a buddy you've played a bunch of times, dozens of times over, it's usually uh, that much harder to to um, make the narrative decision. It's a it's a match play game. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got to beat Matthew. I can't right. I can't let him win. Yeah, no, I, that's 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 the hard part, right? Even in a narrative game uh, where it's like you know. There might still be objectives. In fact, there's nothing wrong with having objectives in a narrative game. In fact, they're often very important. Yeah. Now maybe you're yeah. rescuing or trying to retrieve the gene seed from a fallen soldier, so you need to hold that objective. Or maybe it's a pass, and so you put an objective in the pass to represent kind of controlling that feature. Or maybe it's data you're trying to retrieve or supplies you're trying to pick up. It doesn't really matter. Objectives are, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have objectives. Uh, one of the most common ones I see um, are people who come in with an army and they have a little bit of backstory with their army, whatever they wrote it or it developed over many, many games they've had back at their gaming club. But there's usually this character who is going to issue a challenge. His goal is to get into a challenge in a fight and then kill an enemy character. Now, I know we don't see this anymore in 8th edition. It's more, I see it still in horse heresy, but back in 7th edition it was a big thing where it would just be a sergeant who would just always issue a challenge and then that was their narrative of their army that they would try to play every time. Right. Um, that small side of the narrative is something that they come up with beforehand or it's developed over time they continue to try to do so. Like, we've all had that. We've had, um, in our narrative campaigns, uh, certain named characters just do weird special things, survive too long, kill things they shouldn't kill, and then we just try to drive that going forward all the yes. time. I think that's a big part of it. That, that's, that can get more into the discussion of making memorable characters in narrative campaigns. Sometimes it, it, it's not just playing out a story. Sometimes it's continuing the story you've accidentally created. Yeah, that's the best kind of stories. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. This yeah, is yeah. this is not a pre-scripted TV show. This is a um, it's more like a role-playing game. It's more like an improv session, but with dice to make it even weirder. It's like this this guy had no right surviving that long. I played a game and <laughs> I had a captain get uh, who had a mind you, I gave him the armor and dominus or whatever it's called that um, can give him that temporary involve save. Yep. And he got charged by twenty gene stealers. And he held. And um, they then spent three command points to fight him a second time. And after all of that, he had lost one wound. Oh, no. Yeah. And he went on to win me the game. <laughs> and that was fantastically cool. He shouldn't have. He was just a, he was a captain with a jetpack or a jump pack. That was it. But he was able to jump forward. It was interesting. I, I, I pictured the story in my mind. And by the way, we were playing a semi-narrative scenario, too, but with match play rules. And he would jump forward. And the rest of my army was surging forward with him. But anybody that was next to him every single round without fail were dead by the end of that round. Oh. He was still alive. Then he'd jump forward and he would all of a sudden there'd be more of his guys next to him and they would die. And so I just, it's so cool because I look back on that and I get this awesome image of this captain just like jetting forward with his army with him all dying around him. And he's just got this look of, I'm coming for you. And he gets to the back lines and just starts beating everybody up, holds the last objective against a Tyrannifex, no less, and wins me the game. Now, here's my question. Did you name him? No, no. Because if it was... It was a one-off game. So. Exactly. It's a one-off game you're playing with the studio army, but the average... Something that happens to somebody with their army, right? That's mm -hmm. the one army they have. You're naming that character. And he's going to keep trying to do that in the next game well, until it starts to fail repeatedly. But like that, that's, I, but that I can love, become his thing too, right? I, well, Failing is also well, a fun story to honestly, tell. There's plenty of those characters too. The Psyker who will always kill himself with perils. Yeah. I, I, love, I love the Or accent. Warden, our Death Watch You're, yes, Warden, yep. who could never heal but became but, one of the best combat, close yep. combat of the Death My Watch. My favorite narrative is the one you couldn't create. The yeah. one that just happened on the table. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, I've noticed that. If a little side sidebar here, talking about narrative campaigns, if, if we're going to be talking a ton about this in future episodes, so this here's a little little tip for you game <laughs> masters out there who want to create your own narrative campaigns. Don't try to force the cool characters. Make some name characters. That's fine, but they um, will rise. They yeah. The the honestly very seldomly do the ones that I think are interesting be interesting. It's uh it's that sergeant who survived too long or the one guy who survived everybody else dying so we decided to promote him and um i, I think of people like commissar Khrushchev, and um oh well, there's 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 a few of them there's a few of them that the names come up that they were never intended to be anything interesting right and and then they are interesting and then ironically i brought him to the next campaign thinking that he'd continue his epicness and he'd like died right away he got stomped by a, a knight. It doesn't matter. He he survived so much. He got sucked into the vacuum of space and somehow survived that. Like these are the stories we want to tell. And I think that's the difference. Steve and I are both enormous fans of role playing games. Uh, we play a yeah. lot of Dungeons and Dragons. I would actually go as far as to say, on the record, that I like role playing games more than I like miniature war games. Not that I don't like miniature war games. I wonder um, for those who watch the mini war gaming campaigns on the regular if they if they see that progression. How they slowly, what they started out as five years ago, six years ago, to what they are now. They're the same, but they're very different. There's a lot more of that games mastering to it. When I first started, and I am going to be returning to that uh, with this new podcast, I'm going to be starting a, a, a new show where I do more narrative battle reports. And I'm also going to be continuing to make narrative campaigns. And right, the past few narrative campaigns have focused on a small group of individuals, which I've really loved doing. But I've kind of missed doing the you know, 2000 point army narrative campaigns where, you know, bigger events are happening around that. So we are going to return to that, but I know what you said, are you, what you're saying that we started off just like, okay, you bring 2000 points. Here's some restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll bring 2000 points with my restrictions. Like our very first one, Fate of Fayum was about uh, Necron tomb world awakening as a Tyranid high fleet was arriving. So we actually made sure that in the early games, the Tyranids that were, there were Vanguard so it was more gene stealers and lictors and that kind of stuff. And the Necrons that were arising were the weaker ones, right? Or the, they were the Canop Tech ones because they're the ones that kind of go around right. waking everybody else up. He tried to follow that kind of restriction. And it was a fantastic narrative campaign. Was yeah, there's a bunch of spots where I remember all that. Like, exactly. Just, you still remember. I, you still remember. Um, <laughs> your, your, your Necron overlord, Kanum. Who, who couldn't win a fight but won every mission. Right. Whereas Sotek... Uh, couldn't win a mission, but won every fight. Right, exactly. Yeah. And he became the, the coward. Yeah. Whereas Kanam rose in the ranks, and that was oh no, it was around. So Sotek lost every fight. Right. But won every mission. Right. Kanam the usurper took over. Kanam won every fight he was involved in. Like every one-on-one -on -one fight, he won them all, but lost. Every he even mission. took out a Tyranid hive ship single-handedly. Tachyon arrow. Tachyon arrow and the objective. No, that had to be Sobek. No, that was Kanam. That was Kanam. Yeah. Okay, so he won one. Spoilers for you who haven't seen that campaign from six years ago. Yeah, it's a long time ago. It's like <laughs> sixth edition. It's, it's, it's pretty old. Uh, it might be seventh edition, actually. But it doesn't matter. It was sixth. Was it sixth? It was sixth. Oh, goodness. A long time ago. Yeah. Either way, the, the whole point is, you know, if, you, if you listen to Steve and I talk, you're hearing us talk about the cool moments that we were not pre-generated, that were not thought out beforehand. And this goes for when you're writing your own narrative campaigns. This goes for when you're... Just plain narrative scenarios. That is what you're looking for. And that, to me, is the essence of narrative wargaming. It's trying to create those super awesome, almost cooperative moments that you're both going to remember. And maybe you'll forget who won or who lost. 
Or maybe you'll remember because it was such a close, epic ending to the whole thing. But you'll remember those characters that you create, those moments that happen, but only because they weren't supposed to happen. And they, they were just yeah. out of the, they were out of the ordinary, either because of dice or because of decisions. So if you were to ask me, do I prefer match play or narrative play? It's hard for me to give you an honest answer at this moment because I think I want to say match play. But the reason why I even say that is because if you were to ask me to list my top 10 greatest uh, miniature gaming moments, all 10 of them will be in there from a narrative game. Right. By, like for sure. I'm not even going to second guess that. I can probably name your number one. Which one? The one where you and Quirk That's the one. actually were that, crying at the end that because was, of the tension. That that game was the single greatest miniature gaming moment in my life. Right. That game. And I was sweating I was, as the games master because I thought it was going all wrong. <laughs> but it just went all we right in the end. We just kept holding on. That like, was So it, that was part of Space Hulk Death Watch. That was the finale of Death Watch 2. Yes. So Space Hulk Death Watch. So Space Hulk, you know what, episode, episode 12 then? Yes. Everybody who hasn't seen that. Yeah, I'm not going right to spoil now, how it ends, but let's just say that I created a mechanic for how long the game would go that I was worried would make the game code too short, but nope. it ended up being the opposite. And I was, I basically, I think there was five or six turns in a row where I'm like, crap, they're dead, and this is horrible. And it ended up just being the most epic ending of anything I've ever done and if, I could and I did not plan. If it. you don't have time to watch an entire campaign, I recommend watching that video and knowing that every bit of emotion you saw was yeah. real. Yeah. There was literally hugging and crying at the end. Yeah. <laughs> it was so yeah. awesome. Yeah. That one is yeah, you got for for just context of narrative, that is the pinnacle for me. That's that that's a narrative game. Yeah, and to me and you look at that balance there is not one iota no, of balance. Not even a little bit. Not in, not we're, in the least. My heart's pounding. We're looking at each other like how we like how we just drive one more wave. Maybe we move to the left. Uh, you got to pull off air, this punches roll. Punches the rocket out of the air for me. Yeah, like it was. Mm, yeah, it was it, awesome. it was it was it was ridiculously awesome. And you know, for every mission that's like that, there's other ones that are so so, and even ones that go the opposite. We're like, oh, that didn't work out the way I wanted it to, and it's gonna happen. Just like your competitive games. Like oh, how of many course. of your competitive games go to the? the end of the last turn and it comes down to one last die roll. Those are the best ones, right? It's always those epic moments that you remember. Not, oh, I tabled the guy by turn two. That was fun. That's not, you're not going to go on. Yeah, early kind of edition. Or just any, we can still get that, right? We, it's true. Well, that we, can happen in any game. Yeah, that can happen in any game if there's an unbalanced list and that's, you know, in a, the balance end. Well, dice do that too. Like, it doesn't matter how balanced the game is. Like, it could happen in any game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so yeah, so narrative war gaming, and to me, this is why I love it. Because uh, I remember, for example, when I, I got into miniature wargaming, again, uh, Dave and I played it as as kids, as teenagers. We got into Battletech. We, were, we didn't even realize we were into miniature wargaming. We did a lot more role-playing than we did uh, miniature wargaming. But we played Battletech and Battlespace. And, uh, but when I got back into it, which was through Lord of the Rings, the thing that drew me into it was the rich lore. I, I don't know if that's the right word because Middle-earth is pretty limited in its lore because, you know... Tolkien was only wrote so many books. Like you look at the difference in how many books are written for Warhammer 40K or Star Wars or all these other universes. But it was more that I love the movies so much and to see those characters and those creatures in miniature form. The one of the one of the point I'm getting to is one of the first things that we did after we played with uh, battle or with the foam from your miniature cases as hills and and um, the, 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 the basic train that comes in the Lord of the Rings starter set back then. 
we started making terrain because we wanted to recreate, you know, Moria. We wanted to recreate the Dwarven Halls. We wanted to recreate the Shire. We wanted to recreate these beautiful places because we wanted to tell a story in these fantastic places. And that's what drew me into miniature wargaming. I remember going to my first tournament for it and I brought what I thought was a thematic goblin list. It had a Belrog in it. And I was disappointed in a few things. First off, that it was easy to counter the Balrog in Lord of the Rings. He's this awesome creature, but all you do is feed him one guy at a time, and he's stuck fighting one guy. So it's like, hi, I'm a 500-point model. Oh, look at that. I easily killed this 15-point guy. And Because you you're not in squads in Lord of the Rings. And the second thing that bothered me is I played against one guy who's totally nice. Nice guy. But min-maxed the crap out of his army. And that was my first ever experience of the tournament. And I'm just like, ah, this is not my scene. I, I came here wanting to play a cool goblin army that there it made sense. You know, the Balrog was driving them forth to this fight. We got the cool drums and the deep doom, 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 yeah, helping everybody else out. And then it was just like, ah, there was some other people that got it. There, I saw their armies there that were really neat. But then, and, and, and I look back on that now and I'm like, of course that's what happened because that's a tournament. People are going to find that way to to min max their armies to to the to the team. And Lord of the Rings wasn't very good at being balanced when it came to tournament play back then, because uh, there was a lot of tricks. If if you wanted to play it in the way that made sense, your army wouldn't make sense. Okay. And there was easy okay. ways to I'm make your army not made sense and be and be balanced at the same time. And so I just early on it was to me it was all about making cool terrain. It was about reenacting cool stories. Um, or at least telling stories in the same setting, and that and that's that's always drawn me into miniature wargaming way more. I want to interrupt you for than... a second there, then, because um, I'm now curious as to what you think the difference between historical gaming and narrative gaming is. Well, historical gaming would be reenacting something that's happened, either in was uh, that fictional not, or non-fictional. Was that not your goal with your goblins? Yes, but I got bored of Lord of the Rings pretty fast. That was okay. the second part. I'm saying what drew me into your gotcha. uh, okay. to begin with. Okay. What what and that's why I'm saying that the the. The richness of the lore wasn't there because after a while, you know, you play with Aragorn and he died. And I'm like, oh, Aragorn didn't he die. Didn't die. <laughs> it's not in these stories. And it just, there was something about it. Or like, let's recreate the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Oh, that's not what happened. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of historical gaming. They stopped I, our charge. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe I could get into it, but I'm also not a big fan of like, I know some people are World War II nuts. Yeah. And they're history buffs. And I, and I'm not, I'm not like that. I don't. Not that I don't care. It's more just I'm not as interested in other people. And so, yeah, even even like Horus Heresy, I found a little limiting in my mind. The setting is huge. It's a whole galaxy, right? And yet I felt like... Well, I always oh, reconciled that with the fact that the galaxy is so big and there could have been so many skirmishes. Sure. So you kind of got away with it. So could you... Okay, after your, your years... Well, you've done your wargaming for years, but you've done narrative for years now. Good, good five, six. Uh, focusing on narrative. Could you go back and do a Lord of the Rings narrative game? campaign yeah absolutely because what i would do is i would drop all the named characters out of it for sure and because that was always the hard thing is if you were playing an army you had the named characters but you also had your generic captains and and, and your your heroes but they weren't as good as the named characters and so nobody, so nobody so you'd, you'd bring them because they were cheap so you could kind of flesh out your heroes but you always wanted to bring legolas because his he was actually really strong yeah. and aragorn was really good um and I might not be remembering all the balance things right, especially with how it is today. But I remember that it just always felt like, yeah, I could bring a captain instead, but, you know, Aragorn's better. 
and there's even more than one version of Aragorn. Mm-hmm. More than one, and you, so you take the one that this you think the is Aragorn the best. This is the Aragorn I need with this Gandalf. Exactly. Right. Even though they, they never, were together, they, they never <laughs> Gandalf the Grey with King Aragorn. And I'm like, sorry, wait, that, wait, it never a, happened. It's a good combo, though. Yeah, it's a really good combo. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was. I have no idea. I'm just saying, yeah. Exactly. And so I guess to me, Lord of the Rings had that hint of historical gaming to it, kind of like Horace Heresy does. And obviously, I use that very loosely. Because I know when you typically say historical, you mean actual history, like reenacting world wars or Napoleonic wars or from back in the Roman Empire era oh, or whatever. From, from an era past. Exactly. An era before the current setting in the game that you're playing. Exactly. Exactly. But usually our own. Yeah. So, so no, if it's an alternate history, I think that's cool, like weird wars and stuff. That's all, that's all very interesting to me. Yeah, that's true. Now, to me, narrative is about writing your own story in a setting that's already there. That way you have that basis for understanding so the characters or the players and the audience have an idea of what's going on and then you just build from there. That, to me, is a huge part of it. I don't, I don't imagine ever playing what would be considered a narrative game without there being at least a basic story in place. Oh, there's no point otherwise. Yeah. Even if the narrative is more like, what's these? what are these guys? Because I'm just following along these guys. To me, there still has to be... Or else we're just playing the story of the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you could have a story in a game and it not really be narrative wargaming as well. If it's just so basic that it's just like, what's the reason that these two armies that we've already deployed and already rolled the mission for are here? Oh, it's this. Okay, cool. Now, let's, And then it doesn't influence at all any of your decisions. That's not oh, really point. narrative wargaming to so me. So the more the story in, impacts your decision, the more narrative it is? Yes. Yeah, that's, that, that that's, would be, a, that's a good way to okay. define it. Uh, that's why I'm saying it's more of a spectrum, right? Um, you can play match play with narrative, and you can play... That's a very interesting thought. ...narrative without match play. You can play open play, and it's not narrative at all. In fact, actually, that's what I think open play, the whole point of it is. Don't worry about alliances and allegiances. Just throw some models on the table and start rolling dice. So Age of Sigmar is really good at that one. They just whatever. What, what do you got? What did you bring today? Oh, you brought some uh, unit of fire slayers and some skeletons and the gash. All right, throw it on the table. And I've got, I don't know, I've got some. Uh, You're talking four years ago, AOS. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean. People don't really talk about that as being the best way to play. But it's a good way to just kind of throw down. If you're just like, if I'm teaching somebody, I'll, I'll throw a couple squads. Well, that, that, what you just said, that, that's also like, oh, we have some evidence that whatever we say we want, the greater community didn't want that. We wanted, even in our narrative play, we want we want restrictions. We want we want the guidelines, whether we admit it or not. Um, AOS didn't do so well at the beginning. Once you start putting in um, how to build your army or, or your restrictions on how to make a force, even in their narrative play um, gaming, is when it really started to pick up. Not that I want to get into a big discussion of why Age of Sigmar, in our view, no, 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 didn't I'm, do well at first. I want, but I do want to point out two things that I agree on that is that the first thing, what you said, that there wasn't structure. And I think narrative gaming does not lack structure. Think of Dungeons & Dragons. It's anything but lacking structure. It's got good structure to it. I think the difference is is that allows you to kind of manipulate that structure as you see fit, especially as you become more experienced with doing it. You'll get a better instinct as to what is, and and I'll say balanced. You want your narrative games to be balanced. But I don't mean points balanced. I just mean balanced. In other words... Both sides can have a good time and just kind of see what happens. The second thing I think that really worked against Age of Sigmar, at least for to, to forgetting the whole, you know, Warhammer Fantasy being destroyed and this one coming in, was the fact that since it was so new, it didn't have rich lore yet. And so how do you tell a story in a place that you can't picture? 
Well, okay, so I don't want to shy away from it because um, I, I, I very much experienced that area of Age of Sigmar, and I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think um, criticizing that era uh, should be taken. Like, like should we, we should be able to? Oh, of because, course. Because of course. I just want this show to become about. No, for that. sure, for sure. But what, what, there's a point I actually want to make to it because once we got to the point when the first General's Handbook came out and it gave us more structure. Um, I, I was struggling to get people to come in and play the game. People didn't know how to bring in armies and they were coming in with just these hodgepodge things and were making weird bat reps. Once we had more structure, that's when, uh, if you remember this kid named Alex, I don't know if you remember seeing him a lot, he, we'd come in and we'd add, we had structure and also we could add narrative to our games. Right. We did a bit of the Held and Hammer Heresy where we both played um, uh, Stormcast Turtles, but one of them we just say, hey, this guy returning in Sigmar. Uh, but we weren't able to do that until we had a little more structure in our game. Yeah, exactly. We didn't need a lot. We didn't need a lot. We needed some. And then all of a sudden, it got really fun. We started having a lot more fun. More people started coming in. Yeah. And the game really kind of took off. I the game I really th took off after General's Handbook. And that's when they really added their... Well, they changed the way they do their narrative play. Because before, it was it was all narrative play. Yeah. Basically. And then they kind of put guidelines into here, narrative play, and then your match play, and so on. Yeah. They gave us guidelines, and then even narrative took off. Essentially, bragging that their whole all their rules could fit in four pages was actually not a good thing. Because you want you want the structure so you can break the structure. Because without the structure there, you can't know. It's harder. to Interesting. Know. Way, okay, so you're saying. Yeah, you, you need you need to know what is like. For example, when I learn a new army, if you watch me play battle reports with it, I'm in try hard mode for the first few battle reports, so I can figure out what's good, so I can stop doing that. Right. No, I agree with that. I yeah. Same thing. It's 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 like what is good? Oh, or hearth. Okay, the, this game Hearthguard Berserkers seem to do really well. Let me let me test that theory. Oh, yeah. again, I'm like, okay, yep, yep, yep. yep. They're really good. No more of them. Yeah, not, or not as many of them. I'll have my little hit squad of them, and I'll start trying other stuff because that was too good. And that, that's how I play. I'll try to figure out the army so that I know what's really good. And that way, because we have, obviously, we have a very different experience with miniature wargame here at Mini Wargaming than the average person. Very different. Not yes. better or worse, or maybe maybe better maybe in the better. sense <laughs> that we get to play it as a, as a job and film in studios and... People come from all over the world. That's awesome. But I don't mean like we're better at it. In fact, <laughs> far from it. No. What I'm trying to say is um, the we have to kind of think a lot about the guests coming in and how to make a fun experience for them as well. And it's not always possible. Sometimes the game just the dice roll and you're like, well, well, that was that was. Uh, Thanks for coming uh, in. That's what happened. <laughs> yeah, that what happened. <laughs> and we're going to publish it because some people I've actually heard people say, well, don't publish the bad battle reports. And I'm like, well, this guy came from Australia. And just because we had a bad game doesn't mean I'm going to say, like, sorry, we're not going to show the game that we had. Yep. Furthermore, you know, I think we should show the bad games and the good ones so that people, I, it's part of the hobby. I, I film every game I play and, and every game I film, I upload, right? Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're bad. So coming back to that, um, structure is important. And yet, at the same time, it's important to give you the starting point. So you can break it. So you can break it in ways and that... And create make, your narrative. <laughs> and, and create your narrative. Yeah, because the structure can stop you from creating a narrative. And um, and that's not what you want. Well, structure kind of the structure kind of defines the world and the story, right? And you can't really create your story unless you know what the story is. Exactly. So exactly. yeah, we needed that structure to go ahead and yeah, and we said it. And the less the less you break the structure too, like I will come. Maybe I should just jump to one of the questions. Um. So, on Facebook, Olam Hammersong. Your real name. It's on be. Facebook. Hammersong is the last name, though. That sounds like, like it's very name. fantasy. <laughs> Olam Hammersong says, so I think most people can agree one of the biggest problems with narrative play is the lack of balance and how easy it can be, particularly using power level, to make what's supposed to be a fun battle completely one-sided and off the rails. See, I would argue that 
that's one of the problems with miniature wargaming is that you know it's very easy for to uh, for a player to kind of wreck the other player's experience by going a little too hard on on trying to make things perfect uh, or sorry making things too powerful uh, now if both players are really experienced and they maybe they know each other really well then that can be fun but if it's just two random strangers coming in and playing a game which is often what happens here a guest coming in we've never met them before it can be very easy for the one player to kind of ruin the other player's experience if they're just like, I'm going to power game and the other person is more just easygoing when it comes to the game. I suspect, and I could be wrong, and I apologize, Olam, if I'm incorrect. I think I think he's saying, I think he's talking about narrative scenarios, not narrative play. No, he's, he's talking about power level. And power level is something specific to Warhammer no, 40K. I understand that, but like, okay. The lack of balance and how easy it can be. See, like with power levels, here, here's another example. In Warhammer 40K... In open and uh, narrative play, they use power levels rather than points. I love power levels, by the way. It's the same thing. They are and they are not. The big difference is in power level, it doesn't it doesn't account for your war gear. And so an army like Necrons, who cares? They don't have any options. So whatever. Yeah. But when you get to an army like Gene Seether Cults, where a squad of acolytes can be naked and useless, but that's okay because they're only 35 points. <laughs> Or they can be outfitted with redonkulously powerful close combat weapons, hand flamers, and all sorts of other things. But who's to say that power level is not factoring the fact that this is their perceived best loadout and that's what the power level is? Right, but then if somebody doesn't have access to those models, they are now playing under strength. And when you buy starter sets, for example, they don't often have the perfect loadouts. They are often pretty limited in that. And so I agree with you, Steve. I like power level. And I, I don't think I think it is a problem when uh, two two things can happen. If you're not playing what you see is what you get, then right, you don't then that. don't play power level. Yeah, every one of your vehicles shouldn't have that's something that they don't have, like a hunter killer missile for. Yeah, here's Agreed. my ten guys, and they all have that. Um, this and the second thing is is you have to understand that if you are playing power level and your opponent doesn't have access to all the cool war gear that you need to kind of be, and you know what the easiest thing to do is if there is a worry about that, then you switch to points. Not a big deal. Age of Sigmar, I think, does a better job because they're just always power level. But then you have to argue disguise his points. You have to argue that the points are more accurate than the power. Maybe the points are wrong and the power is correct. Like Maybe, it's, it, Maybe. It, it's just another number system. I just, I just yeah. exactly. And I like, I love the power level. I love not worrying as much about that stuff as long, as long as those two requirements are met. One, you play what you see is what you get, or WYSIWYG, as we short form it to. And two, that you're being friendly you're not min maxing unless the other person is min maxing too well that you know as long as you're both kind of playing to the same level of, of uh, try hard which is impossible well no you can try you can try oh, but like a- everybody well every everyone else even you and i've been guilty of this of saying we are we are being nicer than we are right like it's, it's human nature right yeah yeah yeah. oh no it's it's imperfect we are imperfect we're going to miscalculate and then even if we do perfectly calculate the dice can throw it off oh absolutely the dice can very much make you think that you brought stuff that's too good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I've played games like that where I'm like, uh, or where you, you're just like, oh man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to bring such a hard list. And then I, I'm like, wait a second. He's like, wait a second. No. This is boys and trucks. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I rolled every single five plus, and you yeah. can't roll a three plus. You fired that really strong weapon and missed. I fired this really crappy weapon and killed that important thing. Yeah, no, no. Okay. And as soon as that happened, that snowballs to this. So yeah, that's analyzing. Ooh, analyzing balance is, you know, I'm purposely making this about narrative gaming because I don't want to analyze balance. And yet, ironically, 
it is I, when I was looking through the comments, uh, Olam Hammersong, you were not the only one to ask a question about how to create balance. And we will come back over and over again to that question as we talk about different things, how to write scenarios, how to write campaigns, how to write rules, custom rules for your models. Balance is actually something that you have to constantly think about. If at the very least internal balance is a big deal, when I write campaigns for Death Watch, I have to make sure that every character is internally balanced to the other characters. Otherwise, you just find certain ones are just like, ah, I don't like this guy. Well, what, wait, but the thing is, here's, here's the question I want to ask each and every one of you. What do you mean by balance? E both sides have an equal chance of winning? That well, less, that would be the perfect... Isn't that less narrative? Well, if e both sides have an equal chance of winning is the quintessential definition of balance. Right, but I mean, we're talking narrative here, right? Well, then I think it would is be... Is the story balanced... Like our heroes are, we're playing the Starship Trooper scenario. We're all inside the compound and the Tyranids are swarming all around. Like it's not meant to be balanced. But the, I would say though, that there's a way to balance it scenario wise, that it's not balanced in like, I'm going to survive. For example. Do you have a chance? Is that no, 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 no. It's not even a chance of survival. Like let's, let's take that example. Okay. Let's say you're, you're trying to survive against an endless wall of Tyranids or bugs or whatever. You're the game that you're playing. Zombies. Doesn't yep. matter. And let's say the odds are obviously impossible, or at least a billion to one. And so you look at that and you're like, I can't win. So what makes that interesting? Well, it wouldn't be very interesting unless there's something else going on. For example, we are trying to prime a world-killing bomb. And right. so we have to survive six rounds, or maybe a random length. I love the random when you're trying to complete something like that, because then it adds tension. So we're trying to, you know, after round five, we roll a die on a on a three plus, the game continues, then a four plus, then a five plus, and then it's always on a six plus. And so it becomes more likely the game ends, but you could go on for until you're totally dead. And so to me, it's like the balance isn't in the armies. The balance is in the story in that I am going to lose this, but my objective isn't to win. My objective is to survive long enough to set off the bomb that destroys all my enemies and me as well. So yes, I think even in narrative scenarios, balance is important. But my definition of balance would be yes, that both sides have, I don't know if I'd say equal chance, but there needs to be win scenarios for both sides that make sense. It's and that perceived are both balance. Exactly. Okay, so. Always, oh, everything's So I want to bring right? up, I don't know if we've ever talked about it with you, but when Luke and I did, I don't know how long ago, more than a year ago, we did that uh, Hornheim campaign for Warmer Fantasy of the End Times. Yes. Luke did this one scenario, I think it was like episode two or four, it was really, really early in the campaign, and he took a lot of flack yes. in the comments. I remember that about how unbalanced the scenario was. And it really wasn't. It was actually as, for, for defining all the rules before the game started, it was as balanced a scenario as I've ever seen. Uh, any, at any time I could have won, if we'd done that game 10 times over, it would have been, it would end in 10 different ways. Like it just so happened that one zombie survived the, the combat and he held me back behind a, a line that I need to get pushing on forward. Is uh, often people who don't see the, just because the GM won, didn't mean it was unbalanced. Right. Dice didn't go my way. I couldn't get the the, the cool uh, um, tactic uh, that I wanted to pull off. Just didn't work. I didn't get the charge or whatever. Um, if it's if I'm guaranteed to win, it, it's not, that, not balanced it's not, either. It's not, it's not balanced. It's it's less narrative. Um, it's less fun. Like I want to I want to win. I always want to win, but I want to work for it. I want to earn it. Yeah. It's even even in the narrative ones. Yeah. And that that's a. That's funny because getting into talking about narrative campaigns is a different discussion too because then you're not having player versus player. You're having game master creating a story for other players or a single player. And that goes, that 
draws us more into like talking about role playing and um, how to to create not a sense of balance, but a sense of fun and a sense of good storytelling. If we're just talking straight up, you come up with a scenario that you two are going to play and it might have an impact on further games down the line, but neither one of you is a game master. You're both players in this. So you do need a sense of balance there. Then that's those are two separate things because uh, as a game master, I want to make sure my um, in the narrative campaigns we do, I want the good guys to win more scenarios than they lose. But to me, it becomes more it's less of a binary win loss as it is. What did it cost you? Because sometimes you can win a scenario, but one of your really important characters dies, and all you remember is that character dying. It doesn't feel like a win, and that's great. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a win loss. It's more like here's what you're trying to accomplish. What does it cost you to accomplish it? As long as every every win loss whatever progresses the story, right. every episode's an episode of a television show, right? And if your good guys kept losing, how does the story keep actually progressing? Right? Exactly, and that yeah. always needs to be that's that's once again now we're delving into how to write a narrative campaign, <laughs> and I do want to cover that, but we're almost out of time for this episode. In fact, we're almost at our hour mark. Oh wow! Um, and I, I, want the, I want these these episodes to be roughly an hour, and they're never going to be perfectly that way. And I syndicated content; I don't have to be forty five minutes or whatever. Forty two and a half minutes. So let's 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 jump to a couple more questions, um, and just we're gonna give like short one minute answers to these, and these are possible Ooh, future we'll topics. Try. Yeah, we'll try. <laughs> these are these are possible future topics. So if we can't answer it in a minute, we'll be like we'll cover that in a future uh, episode whenever we get to that. So Kyle Don or Don from uh, or Dunn, maybe it's Dunn. Kyle Dunn from Facebook. <laughs> How to do narrative on a budget? You guys have enormous resources, but can it be done on a kitchen table with minimal scenery and two armies? Um, I'll give you. I want to answer yeah. that. Uh, and the answer is yes and yes. We do have more resources than a typical war gamer, as we should, because we're doing this for a living, and we need to make lots of variety in our battle reports. And and I still always push for more stuff because I get bored of the same things. But remember where I started. I wasn't in this business. I was doing narrative gaming before I had lots of resources. Oh, wow, look at the terrain we had in the very first campaign. Yeah. It was, it was a measuring tape on the table to block off where we could go. Exactly. Oh yeah, I remember <laughs> I remember creating the hive ship and I was like so disappointed. One of the one of the best missions though, worst terrain. Right. It was it was ugly. So don't don't worry about the terrain. But worry about the terrain. No, 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 no but, but I mean, do on the a budget, best right? You like, can. With, with on, what you got. You gotta work think about your setting. If if you can only create a forest world. That's your setting, and you keep your narrative in that. Keep it, keep it smaller. We've been playing Dungeons and Dragons for almost a year now in fifth edition, which I might end up playing a dwarf bard named Olm Hammersong. Just saying. Oh, you're gonna take that one, <laughs> Olm Hammersong. Um, and I have gone through so many different ways of having the maps. Uh, I've printed stuff. I've used the dungeon tiles. I've used Pathfinder mats. And you know what we use now 99% of the time? That's funny. This is true. I roll out mat. That's a white or, or basically a a wet erase board. And I and I find that to be the most fun. So you spend I don't know how how Lots many hundreds of dollars? Lots of money. And then we just use the the white one with the grid. Yeah. You now occasionally and for important areas, I'll print off the map from especially if there is a map available from the module. But yeah, ninety nine percent of the time we're just now using these uh, this this dry erase board, and it's fantastic. And I love I love using it. So no, you don't have to have enormous resources. Even to do this. on the miniature wargaming, I know you said one minute, but even the miniature wargaming uh, narrative, like a lot of the narrative is up here. I'm tapping my forehead. All the narratives in your <laughs> if head. Listening. If you're listening, uh, it's all up here anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Andrew Ashley said, "How to be engaging to people who want." Now remember, I was asked for topics. So that's why these don't sound like sentences. They sound like. Topics: How to be engaging to people who who want to play narrative. 
I love narrative, but it's so hard to get people to want to play as they find it unbalanced. Okay, so that was two different questions, how to be engaging and how to keep it balanced. I think we've drilled the topic home on keeping uh, talking about balance and our thoughts on that. I know we haven't really taught about how to keep balance, and that's for a future episode. But um, yeah, this, this is I'm going I'm to get you to answer this one, Steve, because I know. all my experiences are having people I pay do the narrative, and so you're guaranteed to get them to the end. Okay, well, so no, no, so, so Matthew, this is the part that you may not see. Okay, so there's, there's actually more than one way you can do this. I'll try to keep them fast. So how Matthew often does it is he'll like, okay, here's the story. Here's the setting. He starts explaining. He, he gives us anywhere from 30 seconds to 45 minutes sometimes when you start talking about a narrative campaign that's upcoming. He'll tell us the setting and the story without giving, us, uh, giving away what we're about to play through. And he gets you excited about that setting and what the potential story could be. Another one he does is he says, okay, we're going to do another Death Watch type campaign, but this time I don't want it to all be Space Marines. Think of a motley crew of guys you might want in it and go look for miniatures or whatever and you kind of think, start thinking of a cool team you're putting together and then the story math is going to put you through. And then filling all that, you can find the guy in the store who has his uh, Space Marine uh, captain who in horse shares, he keeps winning every challenge or his one uh, lieutenant that keeps charging into everybody's lines and winning combat like crazy. And well, what if I took him through a story where this guy had to go and you start telling him the story, give him a setting. You take something that he already loves, something he's already passionate about. And like, well, you want to bring, I want to, I want to tell a story where he goes through this. So you, you engage them in the narrative that they already got going. You find the guy who already has a name. Look for people who've named their characters in their armies. You're basically, yeah, that, that's just it. There's going to be people who are more drawn to it than others. You want to find those people. I, I I have to keep coming back to the fact that we're very lucky here. When I wanted to form a Dungeons & Dragons group, it, I had more pillars than I, had, than, I, than I could actually handle. And so... Go the, figure, a bunch of people have been working with gamers. <laughs> exactly. And so whereas in the past, trying to form role-playing groups or other narrative groups, I've gone through the, the difficulty of trying to run narrative games in a store and having longevity. And we'll, we'll talk about that in the future. But it's, it's, it's a challenge, but you have to be very driven as the games master or the organizer. So if you're not driven, it is going to peter out and not be that great. That's true. The more passionate Matthew is about his upcoming story, uh, the more passionate his players are. And often, see, I have the advantage once again. See, what Steve didn't say is I'll go out there and I'll say that. But what I'm actually doing is seeing who gets the most interested. I can, I can most? often test the idea for a new show just by starting to talk about it and see how many heads are poking into my door. And wanting to be part of that conversation. And that usually tells me when I have a hit a good idea. And so I'll go out there and be like, hey, here's my idea. And Vito will be like, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then Luca's like, that sounds so cool. I'm like, okay, Luca, you're doing it with yeah. me. Because I don't want somebody, even if they're paid to do it, and I know they have to do it, I, I want them to be as enthusiastic yeah. as possible. Yeah, okay, so you go around your store. So telling your idea to people that you want to do a narrative thing. And if the guy's like, oh, yeah, that sounds not bad, whatever. Like, oh, cool, what if you did this as well? And maybe this could happen. That's the person you want to work with. Exactly. Exactly. And hopefully you're fortunate enough to find those people because I know some people you, you'll be out of luck and you won't find those people. True. Just like people who try to organize role-playing groups, sometimes they don't get success to do it. And so there, there's going to be challenges. I wish you luck and they're out there for yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, Jason Brock asked the question that we've already discussed talking about, you know, I love narrative gameplay, but I don't like the narrative play rules in, in Games Workshop's publications. We've already talked about narrative gaming isn't narrative play it's what we've already talked about christopher hans gruber how, <laughs> how long should a narrative campaign last um mm. once again that's going to depend on the type of campaign you're doing you'll know well it's also 
here, here's my one minute answer. There's two different types of narrative campaigns. There's open and there's closed ones. A closed one is where you get a group of players and they are going through an equal number of missions each. And there is a very strict story told. Those ones, four to six sessions is what you want. Any longer than that, you're going to lose them. Open ones where people can drop in and out and it doesn't matter if they all play the same number of games, they can run longer, but I still wouldn't run them any more than two to three months because you'll lose interest. If, if your natural ending comes up, don't push past yeah, that. end it. End yeah. it. End on a high note. So like, that, we've had a couple campaigns. We, we typically aim for 12 episodes. 12 episodes, yeah. But we've had a couple that have ended before that. Yeah. You get to the 10th episode, like, that was really good ending. And I we had, had a plan one end to do on this. six. Yeah. I wanted, I plan on go doing more, but it just feels like I'm... Well, it was the world engine, up. right? Like... Yeah, that one. I the felt one like, side just kept on losing, and then it just ended the narrative. Yeah, we just... We but didn't don't have, force it. No, that's, that's another tip we'll talk later about how to keep that from happening, but yeah. Um, Philip Hall, how do you keep campaigns from snowballing out of control? Mm. Okay, that would come up more like in where people can get upgrades and they get so strong compared to everybody else. So there's two ways to do that. One is to not implement things in your campaign where people can get stronger. I'd personally stay away from things where people get extra points, more points to bring than others. I would focus on, yeah. if you're going to do upgrades, it would be more like minor things like, um, uh, a, a, a squad getting a reroll one to hit or and I'm not, I'm not saying that's minor. I'm just saying compared to you can bring a hundred more points um, or maybe like one use only stratagems or they get a couple extra command points. There's a lot of ways to upgrade things without skewing the results so much. The second thing is to try is to do something along the lines that Gork Morka or an old Necromunda did, which is if there was an imbalance in the value of the two armies playing that the one with less value, Blood Bowl does this too, the one with less value gets some advantages um, like open war generator does a good job of that because they introduce ruses and sudden death if one player has less points than the other and I never play that as like five points less I mean like 2000 versus 1750 kind of thing they get to draw a ruse and those ruses are pretty powerful often and if you want to have a lot of fun as a side note play a, two, uh, play a game where you have half as many points as your opponent but you get to draw a sudden death and those are, <laughs> those are a lot of fun Yeah, I tried that for a few battle reports and they were wacky games and, but often the person at half points won, which is awesome because they're obviously outgunned. Except the one game I played where I, I was the one at the full points and he still actually tabled me. Really? <laughs> yeah. What? It's the way the dice work. <laughs> actually tabled me at half points. <laughs> Hence, ballots? I don't know. Doesn't exist. Stop looking for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you have, to, you have to consider that. And like anything else in life, you just got to start doing it and get experience. Yeah. Listen to this podcast. I'm going to give you a bajillion different ideas and tips, I will say that I've been doing this for a while, and I've made a lot of mistakes. I continue to make mistakes, but I don't continue to make the same mistakes. So I can tell you all those mistakes. There's a whole list of things you've done yeah. in the past we no longer do. Yeah, and now I'm, I'm actually starting to get the other guys um, to do more narrative games. And I'm, I'm actually telling them, I'm like, write <gasps> up the scenarios, show it to me, and I'll tell you instantly, don't do this. That's actually very, very this. true. So I've been, uh, you've given the campaign to Luca. I go in with Luca. Vito's talking about his campaign uh, rules. He wants to write for campaigns. I'm like, oh, you know what? I've already experienced what you're doing. You, you have the same idea that Matt did in the first campaign. Right. Here's why it doesn't work. Exactly. A lot of people actually go to the same mechanic or whatever. Oh, yeah. Because it sounds cool. Yeah. A lot of things, you have, to, you have to remember that you're, and maybe this is another tip. You have to design for the game that um, you don't try to turn the game into something that's not. And that's a key thing for miniature wargaming because it's it's not a role playing game. Uh, if you have, I've always said this: if you have an important character to the story, he should never touch the tabletop <laughs> because he will die. 
unless you have and if you throw in mechanics where things don't actually die it takes away from the fun of it you need if something's there on the has table, to be consequences there needs to be some sort of consequence whether you lose upgrades or you actually can die i always like making nine narrative campaigns where there's the characters that the player controls and they are they're they're the ones driving the story but they're expendable and the one that's that's actually in charge of the story, like the Inquisitor Rin, for example, he rarely gets to hit the tabletop. And he usually has a MacGuffin to keep him alive. And I, and I, I avoid that as much as possible because it takes away from some of the tension. Um, knowing that this guy can't die, well, I'll throw him out front. That's the thing, right? There's yeah. No matter how much you want to be a narrative player, I'll air quote that. Um, if you've got a character that you know your GM doesn't, is, isn't going to kill, you have, you, know, you have way more power than you should have on the table. Exactly, exactly. Or over the story. <laughs> I think... Uh, yeah, this is the questions I wrote down. There was a ton of questions, and I have noted them. A lot of them were uh, repeats of each other, and so that's great. That means that that's topics. Like, for example, the whole balance in narrative gaming was a big one. How to write scenarios was a big one. How like how to write um, campaigns was a big one. And so we're going to be addressing all of that in future topics. So we'd love to keep hearing from you. Make sure you leave a comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and leave a comment below. If you're watching this on the any podcast format you're welcome to come and join us um, over in any of our social media you can contact us on twitter um, the best way probably would be like i said to join our facebook group and i'll make sure to post regularly there i'm going to post regularly on our facebook page as well so you know, looking for ideas or looking for feedback so just leave it wherever send me an email if, if anything else matthew at like i said i probably won't reply to if there especially if there are questions for future things but i will write them down and start compiling that so that I can... And I, and I might reply to them on the show as well. Because I know we get a lot of correspondence for this, so I'd like to try to integrate it as much as possible. Steve, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm sure you'll see Steve a lot because we've done a lot of narrative gaming together. And so he'll be, depending on the topic, I'm going to bring in different guests uh, because different people have different things to say. And maybe eventually we'll have some guest stars that are not from any wargaming as well. well. Let's kind of see where this all goes. And make sure to stay tuned for my new Battle Report series, name still pending where i am going to focus heavily on playing narrative scenarios not narrative campaigns but narrative scenarios so that it's more about trying to tell those stories and it is about you know showcasing the rules and the balance of the armies but showcasing more of the story and the lore and the, and the fun narrative scenarios that you can find in the books that you are already buying from the various games that you do play thanks so much for watching happy working